Good morning. And last week, to just remind you, was our Rally Sunday. I hope you made it there uh, for that Rally Sunday. But what we talked about, Pastor Dave and myself, was Matthew 22. We kicked off this new sermon series called Loving Your Neighbor with the Greatest Commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what I want to kind of set the table with before we get too far into this this week is although this series is about loving your neighbor, it is grounded and always will be grounded first and foremost with loving Jesus. Because it's our relationship with Jesus that enables us to live out this calling of loving our neighbors. So today we take our kind of first step into this journey and it's only appropriate that we would define the love that, send us, that sends us into the lives of our neighbors. What is love is the question for us today. And it's important to define because there's many different de- definitions of love nowadays. And that's always a problem when you have one word that has many different definitions. It leads to confusion and frustration because you can be talking to somebody, having a conversation with somebody, and you can both agree on the object is to love the person in front of you or love somebody, but what it means to love them might be very different depending on who you ask. When somebody says that we should love the people around us, what does that actually mean? If you came and you asked many people around us, you would get a lot of different definitions and opinions on how to love. But there's only one definition of love that we should care about as children of God, and that is our Lord's definition of love. The biblical definition of love. How I define love or how you define love, those are just opinions. But God's definition of love is the definition of love. It is truth and the true definition that we should try to pursue and live out as Christians. And so to answer this question of what is love, we're going to, of course, going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the love chapter, so feel free to turn there. And as you turn there, it's just a reminder that we are not the first nation that had trouble with defining love. Ancient Greece had a similar problem. And the Greek solution to this was having different words for different types of love. Now this has been preached on extensively in many places, including here, so I'm not going to go into it too deeply, but I just want to remind us that there's actually four types of love from the Greek language. Philia is a close friend, almost a brotherly love. Eros is romantic Intimate love, we don't see this in the New Testament at all. Storge is love between family members. And then we have agape love. This is godly love, sacrificial, unconditional love. And the love that we're about to read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is this last one. It's agape love, this sacrificial, godly love. That's what agape love is. And this is the love that we're called to be sharing with our neighbors. This is the same love that Jesus calls us back, calls us to back in Matthew 22. 
when he says to love the Lord your God and love the neighbor as yourself. As he says that word love there, he's saying agape, to love God, to have a godly love to your neighbor and to the love. This is his command. So let's open to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 1. I'll pray for us, and then we'll read. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being the God of love. You are love, Lord, and as we get to know you in a deeper way, we get to understand what love is in a deeper way, Lord. And so today, would you just come, would you fill this place with your Holy Spirit? Would you give me words to speak? Lord, would you give us all ears to, to listen and hear that in which you know that we need? And so, Lord, we just submit this time to you and ask that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. It says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. But pause there for a moment. The first three verses, Paul's trying to drive home the importance of love. Because it doesn't matter how great you are, how knowledgeable you are, how giving of a person you are, or even how faithful you are, if you have not love, you are nothing. You'll gain nothing. In fact, you're just noisy. A clanging cymbal or a resounding gong. Has anybody ever uh, gone to a riveting cymbal solo? Can you picture that? I don't know if they exist. I doubt it, okay? If you just had a guy up here trying his best just to hit cymbals together and put on a performance, I'm guessing it would just be noisy above anything else. Maybe they exist, but I'm having a hard time picturing it. And that noise is really what we are as Christians when we don't have love. We might be doing a lot, might be doing a performance, but it just doesn't play well. It just gets confusing. It's loud. It's obnoxious. We're just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So I'll continue to read verse 4. Love is patient and kind. This is the verses that maybe you've heard of. Now, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Your version might say, love never fails there. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. This is where we want to spend some time today. But before we do, I want to give a little bit of context. See, one of the problems in the church in Corinth was that they were manifesting nearly every spiritual gift in existence but they were not walking in love with one another. The Corinthians loved the flashy gifts, loved tongues, loved prophecy. They didn't really love love. 
God was more interested in them coming to a place where they love one another like he loved them than just have these gifts happening around them. And I would argue at times that we fall into the same trap, that we like to seem spiritual or virtuous, but oftentimes that comes at the expense of true love. So in chapter 12, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts and how uh, why they're given to us and how beautiful they, and they are and how beneficial they are to building up the body of Christ, all this stuff. He's just he's talking up spiritual gifts and he's not trying to belittle them at all. But then he closes the verse, that chapter with verse tw- 31 that says, but covet earnestly the best gifts and yet I show you a more excellent way. Said, you're wanting all these flashy gifts, and they're great, and they're powerful, and they're useful, but you know what? I'm going to show you even a better way. I'm going to show you something even better. And then he enters in to chapter 13, in which we just read. What actually matters most is the love that we just read about this morning. And in these verses, as he lists these qualities of love, there's kind of two sides of it. There's things that love is, and there's things that love isn't. There's things that love does and what it doesn't do. What it doesn't do is it doesn't envy, it says. It's not jealous of what other people's have or, or have become. It doesn't parade itself around. It's not braggadocious, right? It doesn't boast in one's abilities or possessions. It's not puffed up. It's not swelled up with pride. It doesn't behave rudely, indecently. It doesn't seek its own, right? It doesn't seek its own happiness to the expense of other people's happiness. It doesn't fly into rage. It keeps temper under control. And it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It doesn't see vices in other people and then take delight in that. It doesn't take delight when people are guilty of a crime or when in any manner they they fall into sin. It's not like, oh, that's, that's good. They deserved it doesn't find pleasure in hearing people are accused of sin or being proved that they've just committed something. It's like, oh, about time they got caught. I'm going to rejoice in that wrongdoing because they got what they deserve. That's not how love functions. But alongside of these things of what love isn't and doesn't do, it has these positive qualities of how love is patient, right? It endures slights. It patiently kind of endures wrongs, just as God's patient with you, right? This is what love functions in us. It functions as patience and kindness. And instead, like it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, it does rejoice in truth. When it sees truth getting lived out in people, when it sees truth manifested in other people's lives, it just rejoices greatly with them and for them. It says love actually can bear all things. It's like it, it, it can cover and protect things. It also means it can endure things with people. It's like you, you, love draws you to protect people and, and to care for them, but also to walk with them and endure things that are hard, to suffer alongside them. That's what love does. It can bear all things. It believes all things. It, it hopes all things. When you read through this list of all that love is and isn't, it just overwhelms me with inadequacy. But that's the list we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's this definition of love. 
And that's the same exact love that we're called to love people with. I mean, anyone else feeling inadequate yet? I mean, as I read through this list, it becomes so evident that this type of love isn't found within myself. I'm not capable of this kind of love. And that's in fact why it's called agape. It's godly love, a love that we cannot fully give out in our own strength, a love that isn't found in us. This isn't human love. This is godly love. And so it's, it kind of puts us in this tension, in this hard, hard place where it's like, God, you're asking me to love with this godly love that I don't really possess. You're calling me to love like this to my neighbors, but you're giving me this command to love them, but I don't have the ability to love them like you're asking me to. It leads us before God saying, God, I can't do this. How are you expecting me to pull this off? I can't do it. The Lord says, don't worry, I, I know that. And he has good news. See, God doesn't send you out with this huge command and then just say, good luck. No. The Lord fills you with his Holy Spirit. He makes you a new creation. See, the old you didn't have a chance at doing this. But the new you that is in Christ Jesus does. See, he has saved you. He's met your own needs and allows you to look to the needs of those around you now. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. See, God fills us with a love so that we can then go and love other people. It's not found in ourselves, but it gets filled with us from Jesus. We can sacrifice ourselves for those around us because we know full well that Jesus has already sacrificed himself for us. Jesus meets our needs so we can go look to the needs of other people. He grants us forgiveness and he places his Holy Spirit in us and then he sends us he sends us out to the neighbors around us so that we get to be a presence of his love in this world. It's really remarkable. I want you to, to, to take courage in this today. That your relationship with Jesus, this, this new creation that you are, as God fills you with the Holy Spirit, he fills you with love. A godly, agape love that then can be poured out of you to the world. I want you to know this to be true and be encouraged by it because this is an awesome gift and it empowers us and gives us confidence as we step out. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I'll read that again. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Like, Lord, how can I, how can I possibly love like this? He says, because I'm going to pour my Holy Spirit into you. And I'm going to pour my love into your hearts through that Holy Spirit. See, church, you have a direct connection to this agape love. 1 John chapter 3.14 says, We know that we've passed from death to life because we love or agape each other. 
This is proof that God lives in us. We know we've passed from death to life, that we're new creations in Christ Jesus because of the way that we love each other. We couldn't do this apart from the Holy Spirit. We couldn't do this on our own strength. But because we agape each other, we know that there's the newness here, that this is possible because of God's gift to us of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins and the restored relationship that we have. John 13, Jesus says, this is going to transform you in a way that the whole world will recognize you as my disciples when you love each other. This is John 13, 34 through 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you agape one another. The world will see the light of Jesus and the love of Jesus in you as you bear all things in your patience and in your kindness, in the, the way that you're not envious or boastful or arrogant, in the way that you're, you aren't irritable. And the way that you don't rejoice in wrongdoing and the ways that you rejoice in truth and the hope that you carry, people will see that you're different. They'll see this agape, godly love coming through you. And I just feel like I need to emphasize this truth one more time that it all starts with our walk with Jesus. The world is going to see this agape love in you, but that means, I mean, for me, I need to be filled with that agape love daily. When I lose track of the gospel, and if we lose track of the gospel in this series, we just all become a bunch of Pharisees running around trying to keep this impossible command. And I hope that this series doesn't send you into lives of your neighbor as much as it sends you into your time with Jesus first and foremost. That we don't put the cart before the horse and it's like, loving your neighbor, I'm going to head out there, I'm going to do my best. It's like, we need to be connected with Jesus, spending time with Jesus so that we're filled and overflowing. And then, then we just go out to our neighbors with a cup that's overflowing, this agape love, because we've first been filled. In 1 John chapter 4, 16, listen to this. It says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. What do we rely on? Not our own strength, <laughs> not our dedication, not our commitment. We know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is what we're called to do. Loving your neighbors with a, an agape love that first comes into us from our Heavenly Father. Now before I close today, I need to address one last thing. <clears throat> and I don't want um, to dive too deep into this because the very last week of this sermon series, we will, uh, the message is going to be speaking the truth in love, this, this idea how we, how we do speak the truth into people in love, but I do feel like before we close, 
I need to address one of the world's definition of love. And this can be touchy. And it's one that the church can often screw up. And as we talk through this list, I think we can kind of pick, get a picture of how this maybe looks in our life and what it kind of can fall into is that, well, love looks like it might just be about tolerance and complete acceptance of people. But neither one of those things are in chapter 13. Tolerance and acceptance can often be the most unloving thing you can do for somebody. Tolerance is sitting next to somebody who stinks and being like, okay, I'll just tolerate you. Or worse yet, saying, you know what, it's not that bad. You're fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. There's been like three times this week, I don't know if... Um, my face is partially numb or something. Like, I had food on my face during a meeting with Dave. And every single time he's like, dude, you got a, you know, got a thing. Like, oh, thank you. Right? Dave was like, hey, there's a mess here on your face. And I don't want you to be walking around the rest of the day with it on there. And so he lovingly just told me. I'm like, oh, thank you so much for that. But how often do we kind of treat this as, as we look at people's lives and there's stuff on their face or the, the age-old terrifying thing that like you get home at the end of the day and you had a booger on your nose, you know, and you're like, how many people did I walk by with that thing on my nose? How come nobody told me about that? The gospel church isn't tolerance of just saying, you know what, um, I think you're good. You stink, but I'm not going to tell you because that's your stink and that's fine. I'm not going not gonna to judge that. No, the gospel is actually pouring the perfume of Christ over someone who stinks and giving them a brand new aroma, giving them the aroma of Christ. We all have people in our lives that are broken, people who stink, people who have behaviors and lifestyles that don't necessarily line up with Scripture. And we are called to love those people. That's who our neighbors are, to go out and love those people. But it does not mean validating their issues, every single one of their issues or their choices. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Agape love acknowledges and names the stink of people and pours on the new aroma. And by, by naming and acknowledging people's brokenness or sin, only will be received if you really, if they really know that you care and love for them. When you're willing to sit with people and live life with people and even go into their messes and say, I'll endure this with you, I'll bear these things with you, but I love you too much to just keep you where you're at right now. And church, we need to get this right because sometimes we're really good at calling out the stinking people and then just feeling like, well, that was, I had to do it. Somebody had to do it. And that's it. We're quick to name things first and without really any understanding of the individual in front of us. Or other times we just really try to quickly cover it with a superficial love of, of, of just, you know, accepting everything they do. And we try to cover it and be like, see, we're good now. We're good. And they don't really ever get the true perfume of the gospel. True love says, I don't think that's what God wants for you right now. I know that there is more abundant life waiting for you in Christ, if, if you actually turn from this, and I, and, I, and I love you too much to have you miss out on this awesome experience with Christ for you to continue to go that way. There's more in Christ. There's always more. So don't be fooled that, that thinking what you're now pursuing is better. 
Because it's not. You are actually meant to be in unity with your creator, at peace with Jesus. That's what's truly going to fill you. Not this sin. So I got to tell you, because, because you're heading down on a road of destruction, and I don't want, I know where it's going to end for you, and I, and I love you too much to just let you keep driving ahead, so, so I want to tell you this, but I'm in it with you, and I love you so much, and I want to walk with you, and it's not because I'm judgmental or, or, or that because I'm perfect. It's I got my own brokenness, and I welcome you to call me out on that stuff too. Please do, because I just, I just want to love each other in a way that we can both look more and more like Jesus Christ and walk in the will of the Heavenly Father. I'm sure almost everyone in here right now has somebody in their head that needs this kind of love. But here's also the truth. You were also that somebody who needed someone to enter your life with agape love. Before Christ, we were all heading down a road to destruction, and somebody in our lives, whether that was a stranger or a friend or a grandparent or a parent, somebody loved us enough to say, stop, turn around. You're a sinner that needs repentance and needs the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and I want to share that with you, but before you understand that you need forgiveness, you have to understand that you have sin. This is so hard, and it is so much easier to pretend that things are just okay, but the Word of God is clear on what brings life and what brings death. And there's brokenness in this world that ultimately seems like it's going to lead to life, but it just does bring death. And how we bring agape love to every individual or different individuals in our life is so different. This is why this is really hard. Loving your neighbor isn't just this, this formula where we just do this and this and this and then it all works out. Every single person that we encounter needs a different type of agape love, needs different ways to walk with them, needs this. And so it's so hard. It's a balance of all of chapter 13 of flowing out of us. And I'll just tell you this, if, if you try to do this in your head, if you try to kind of do a mental exercise of, okay, I, I'm going to just map this out exactly how I got to love people today, and I'm going to try to do this in my own strength, in my own understanding, it never works out. This is literally godly love flowing through you. Jesus does this so effortlessly and so beautifully, and we need to allow him to fill us and then live through us because if it's Jesus pouring love out with us, this balance, this, this, the, the balance comes out right. The formula is perfect. And I hope that kind of makes sense. I hope that's not just something that makes sense in my mind. But when we just try to think our way through this is, I think we got a little of this and a little of that. Oh, dang, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have enough patience today. I'm going to add a little bit of that. It doesn't function like this. But when Jesus is living through us and the Holy Spirit's leading us, all of a sudden this agape love flows out of us and loving our neighbor happens on an individual basis for the individual circumstances that Jesus so intimately knows about our neighbors. Agape love flows out because it's really Jesus flowing out of our lives. So I know loving your neighbor, this is hard stuff. But I want to close today with that last verse 8 
from our focus chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> and this is the New King James Version. And I just want to read verse 8 because I think it brings an encouraging note to the end. And it's this. Love never fails. Love never fails. This does not mean that you will get the result that you want. But as agape love flows out of our hearts into our neighbors, it will not fail. We will not fail. When Jesus flows out of our lives, whether the results look like we have pictured, there has not been failure. Let's pray. Lord, we just have a need to continue to look more and more like you. And Lord, I want every day to be like John the Baptist so wisely said, to have you increase, Lord, and me decrease. Lord, the more of me that shines through on any given day, that's the more selfishness, the more pride that shines through, but the more of you as you increase in all of us, Lord, as you fill us with agape love, Lord, and the world gets to see Jesus through us, and Lord, that's what we want. So Lord, would you help us decrease every day? Would you increase in us every day, Lord, and would your will be done through us? We know that we're not going to do this perfectly, but thank you for giving this call and this mission. Thank you for the neighbors that you've placed around us. Lord, would you help us agape them? Amen.